I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. so excited to have you on the BU Find Happy podcast. You have a heck of a resume. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, you, I, I, I feel like I'm very, um, I'm about to be very inspired by, by what you're going to share with our listeners today. Could you give everybody just a backstory on yourself, how you got where you are and all the amazing things that you've tackled in your life? Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. First of all, it's, it's an honor to be here. Um, uh, for about 16 years, I worked in college and professional sports as a human performance coach and a sports scientist. And so my job was to help athletes, you know, perform at their best. And then as my career progressed, I started using data from like wearables and different, you know, measurements that we would use in lab or on the field to improve performance and reduce injuries. And um, along the way, I got a doctoral degree studying how sleep impacts our brain's ability to adapt to stress. I really got fascinated with how we could help athletes and now the general population become more adaptable and resilient to stress. And that led me to, in late 2020, leaving my career in sports to start a company called AIM7. And we turned wearable technology data into actionable recommendations for your mind, body, and recovery. Well, it's interesting because you say, you know, the scientific sports side of things. And, you know, it, I think that that was really overlooked for a long, long time. I remember mm. when my son first started playing football, there was a really cool uh, a shock sensor that we put inside the helmet pad. Mm. And then it would alert my phone if he took too hard of a hit. Yes. And so I could say to the coach, you know, pull him out. Well, my son was so little at the time that he ran away from anybody hitting him. So <laughs> Smart kid. <laughs> not being a problem. Paid a ton of money for this sensor. But that was my first indication that this is an actual thing and that it's it's actually pretty necessary and needed. Um, and so what I really want to spend some time talking about is sleep in particular, because mm. I have found that I, you know, I don't apologize for going to bed early if I'm tired. I don't apologize for, um, you know, needing to, needing to take downtime or get a full eight hours of sleep. And I find that my stress levels are astronomical when I'm not getting a full night's rest. Like I feel like I can't deal with the world as well. Like I can't function as well if I'm not getting a full eight hours, maybe eight hours isn't the number. Sometimes maybe it's 12, sometimes maybe it's six. But it's but it's a fully rested night's sleep. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sleep is uh, the golden chain that really ties our health and our bodies together. Um, there's so many things that happen when you sleep. I guess we can highlight three of those things. And I can talk about three key behaviors that you need to dial in if you want to get the benefits of sleep. But really three things happen when you sleep. Number one, there's a restoration 
Uh, number two, there's a detoxification process. And then the third part is something called plasticity. But I'll, I'll double click on restoration real quick. From a physical standpoint, when you sleep at night, different hormones are released, specifically during like deep sleep or slow wave sleep. Growth hormone is released, and that helps heal your tissues. Also, during sleep, the stress systems that are activated, highly activated during the day so that you can be alert and focused, are downregulated at night. So your immune system has a chance to uh, really recover. Um, it also creates immunological memory during sleep. So it's really important for your immune system. Uh, for males out there that are listening, most of your testosterone is secreted later in sleep. And just being sleep deprived about five hours a night for one week will almost age you a decade in the world of testosterone. Um, are you kidding me? That's terrifying. It is. And so there's a lot of people taking TRT. And they should really just be getting more sleep. Um, also, cortisol, the stress hormone, which a lot of people have heard about, it's got a bad rap, but it's actually a hormone that makes you very alert during the day and it's very beneficial. At night, it's downregulated, which is very healthy. Um, so that that helps from a restoration part. Another thing that we're learning in the past 10 to 15 years is that when you sleep at night, your brain detoxifies itself. It actually has its own special system called the glymphatic system. And this system flushes out metabolic waste products. And the interesting thing we're finding is, is that, number one, it's only active during sleep. And some of these proteins that are being flushed out of your brain are associated with dementia and Alzheimer's disease and traumatic brain injury. And so if you're not getting adequate sleep, your brain is literally being clogged up with metabolic junk. And so when you talk about this restorative, almost like your brain feels very clear after getting a good night of sleep, it's because it's literally detoxified. Um, and then the last thing, you know, there's, like I say, the last big third chunk that really kind of happens with sleep is, um, I will say this before that there's a lot of emotional regulation that takes place. So if you don't get enough sleep at night, especially like the last part of sleep, you'll be very emotionally volatile. And so sometimes, you know, you may be around somebody that's acting like a jerk and maybe it's, they're not a jerk. They just didn't get enough sleep and they're not controlling their emotions well. But, um, the last thing, especially if you have kids, it's really interesting or you're somebody that's working really hard and trying to get ahead is sleep is when learning and memory consolidation occurs. So when you learn a new skill during the day, or you engage in something very a deliberate task that requires a lot of a lot of thinking and cognition, and you want to wire that in during the activity itself, your brain kind of marks these different neurons in your brain that were used during that learning session. And then when you sleep, those connections, those neuronal connections are actually strengthened and actually enlarged. And so there's a phrase that these two scientists use called Tononi and Sorelli. They're the ones that discovered this. It said sleep is the price your brain pays for plasticity or the ability to change. So you have restoration, detoxification, and then learning and plasticity. Um, but in relationship to something you said earlier is like, is it, what's the key number here? Is it 12 hours? Is it six hours? The research demonstrates that seven to nine hours is the key time frame and that there's this kind of U-shaped curve 
with this seven to nine hours, meaning if you sleep less or more uh, than seven or nine, you have a higher risk for type two diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease. And there was an amazing paper done over a 20-year period with 21,000 twin pairs. So if you really want to understand how a behavior impacts our body, if twins are very biologically the same, they're biologically very similar, the twin that slept less than seven hours a night uh, had an increased risk of all-cause mortality by 24%. So wow. duration really does matter. Um, you want me to keep going or do you want to pause here for a second? Well, one of the things that I want to ask is how do people sleep if they are waking up in the middle of the night, maybe choking on mucus or they have to Mm. pee or they, you know, are stressed about something that they forgot to do yesterday, or Mm. there's something really heavy, like a divorce in their life or something like that. And it's, you know, waking them up at four o'clock in the morning. How do people sleep through that. So that's number one. And number two, so how do they actually get a full night's rest? And then number two, I heard this really interesting thing. um, And I'm forgetting the lady, she's really well known, but I'm forgetting her name right now. And she was talking about how if your alarm goes off in the morning and you snooze your alarm, you go back into this super deep, deep sleep cycle. And you're like, oh, I, I slept so good for that extra hour that you overslept. But then you're going to be groggy for four hours because you're actually in still in some level of like a sleep wake space. Mm-hmm. Really fascinating and interesting. And she says, so just get up when the alarm goes off. And for years, I actually was able to not have to get up at a, when an alarm went off. I was able to get up just like with my natural circadian rhythm, which surprisingly was not 9 or 10 a.m. It was actually 6 a.m., 6.30, 7 um, you know, it varied by 15 to 20 minutes each day, but not much. And, um, and it was beautiful to not have to wake up to an alarm. And I still very much have, that. um, uh, there's just a handful of days out of the week where I have to set an alarm. I'm so grateful that my career choice as a psychotherapist, nobody wants to see a psychotherapist at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just lucky that, you know, most people are like, ah, do you have a nine available? You know, yeah. <laughs> so but I'm really curious about number one, how do people force that sleep throughout yeah. the evening or the night? And number two, what about the alarm thing? Yeah, these are wonderful questions. The first thing is a psychotherapist, you'll really appreciate this. There is a, a gentleman named Dr. Bruce McEwen. He's kind of a giant in the field of neuroendocrinology and really helped us shape our modern understanding of stress and adaptation and resilience. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a term called allostasis. It's our ability to achieve stability through change. And it's what your body is trying to do. It's adjusting its internal physiological environment all the time to achieve allostasis. And you're like, what in the world does this have to do with stress or sleep? Well, the number one thing that you can do to uh, – let me restate this. If you want to totally wreck somebody's life – and unhinge their ability to adapt to stress and be on any sort of rhythm, you disrupt the circadian clock. Okay. The circadian rhythm, circadian literally means about 24 hours. And there are certain, and and there's two pressures for sleep. Really, there's this natural, there's two things that drive sleep. One is this natural circadian process of 
wakefulness and sleepiness. And then there's something called a homeostatic drive, which means that when you wake up in the morning, this pressure for sleep builds all day long. You get more and more and more tired as the day continues. So those two things are what drive sleep. Well, the circadian clock is anchored by several things. And the number one thing that anchors your circadian clock is sunlight. And so if you want to, and this was literally one of his foundational papers, if you want to be up for adaptation to stress, you need to anchor the circadian clock, which is the number one behavior you can do to drive sleep at night. So here's how you do it. Early and frequent sun exposure throughout the day. Um, internal lights inside your house are just not intense enough to anchor the clock well. So even if it's cloudy outside, if you go outside for 10 minutes, you're going to get about anywhere from five to 10,000 lux of light in your eyes. One lux is equivalent to like one candle lit in a room. A light bulb in the house may have 40 or 50. So when you go outside early in the day, um, sunlight enters your eyes and it activates a bundle of neurons that sit above the roof of your mouth called the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the circadian pacemaker. And that circadian pacemaker sends a signal to every cell in your body that it's time to be alert and awake by increasing body temperature and cortisol. In addition, when you get frequent exposure to sunlight throughout the day, it increases melatonin production at night, which is a sleepy hormone. Um, I just had Dr. Sachin Panda, who was like at the Salk Institute, one of the leading um, circadian biologists in the world on my podcast. And he talked about this and I didn't realize I knew about the morning. That was one of the first things we learned in my doctoral work. But the frequent exposure to the day they're finding actually increases melatonin levels at night. So if you want to sleep good at night, you know, get about five to ten minutes of sun exposure in the morning, even if it's cold. And then throughout the day, just go outside. We were not designed to live indoors all the time. We get dis we get like uh what's the word I'm looking for? We get fractured off from our environment and it disrupts our circadian rhythm. The next thing I would suggest is, so get lots of sunlight. The next thing is, is you need to make sure that your room, your bedroom is set up for great sleep. So you want to make your room cold, dark, and quiet like a cave. So if, if light is an alerting signal in the morning and it makes you more alert, it's the same thing at night. So when the sun goes down, start dimming the lights in your house. Uh, your bedroom should be I'm as bl- so big on that. I mean, yeah, I want no Costco happening. Like I literally cannot mm. have overhead lights. I actually don't turn on overhead lights at all. I just think they're terrible. They're like the worst thing ever. And you know, it's funny because my partner, he got a night light and I was like, if that thing does not shut up unless there's movement, it can't be here. And you know, so he, so he didn't listen to me. And now he's the one who gets up and he's like, damn, this night light. I'm like, I told you, <laughs> like, don't have any, like, I want it dark. I don't want to see anything. I don't want any indicators that it's anything other than sleeping time. <laughs> so, you, anyway, you, you nailed um, it. Cause my, I have a couple um, in hall where they'll come on if you walk by you know, if, if the cat walks by, it's going to come on as well, but they're in hallways, not in my bedroom. You know, I have no nightlights in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's really smart. I would, or any of it for that matter. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would cut down the lights at night. Um, make sure your room's cool too. Um, because your body temperature decreases at night. And if your room is really hot, 
uh, it's going to really uh, it's going to hamper this process. So that's something where you, if you're sleeping in the bed with somebody else, you really need to figure this situation out. Like the diff, you know, it, whether it's turning down the air conditioning or if it's you know we're still kind of in this winterish months going into spring, you could you know adjust that. Make sure your sheets are breathable and that you're not sweating underneath them. It's really going to mess up sleep. Um, so you got cold. I saw the funniest thing. There was this comedian and he's like, you know, this is so stupid. Fahrenheit makes sense. He's like, if it's 50 degrees, it's 50% hot. If it's 100 <laughs> degrees, it's 100% hot. He goes, he goes, you know, whatever the number was, he was, it was like 13 to 15. He's like, is the same degree Fahrenheit. He's like, sleep with anybody in a room and they will tell you there is a big difference between 69 and 71 degrees and it is so true i swear if somebody turns up the heater that much i'm like i'm gonna murder you who are you why did you touch <laughs> that's so true i mean it is it can be a mis like some nights you're just like oh my gosh i forgot to turn down this is why i'm staring at the ceiling i'm just hot um who i don't know who this comedian was but they nailed it you want your bedroom less than 70 degrees um and it's just going to depend on your personal preference from there another little hacky thing you can do and i'm not really big for hacks but like take a warm bath or shower at night and you're like well aren't i warming my body up well the reaction to your body is to begin cooling itself at a faster rate so within 30 minutes after the warm bath or shower your body's cooler believe it or not so you know, cold, Failed. yeah, dark, and then quiet. Uh, TV off, phone off. If you're living in a busy city, a white noisemaker is helpful because it kind of keeps a m- monotonous tone. But you don't want a lot of perturbations in um, ambient noise or it's going to wake you up. So um, those are some key things you can do from a room perspective from a relationship with light and then you did bring up a really good point about your you know peeing at night about you know an hour and a half to two hours before bed i'd say maybe an hour and a half just stop drinking fluids um especially if you have a small bladder um and if you're eating and especially like i find herbal teas oh my gosh that if i have like a lot of herbal tea right before bed i swear i have to pee every five minutes i don't know what (laughs) it is about herbal tea it could it could be like a um what's it called Uh, um oh my goodness i'm blanking right now but the term for something that makes you urinate diuretic Uh, diuretic that's exactly right yep kind of like coffee coffee's a diuretic right certain teas that are diuretics yeah, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. And so, so in terms of peak performance, in terms mm. of like being able to really have a body that's functioning well, not, not maybe overly fatigued or, you know, the whole phrase, like a body that rests, rusts kind of mm. a thing. Yeah. How do you recommend people change their lifestyle? I mean, do you recommend people get involved in like, um, co-ed sports or join their local volleyball rec league or what do you recommend for people that maybe just feel really time being motivated to do anything yeah i mean health and fitness or peak performance for i'm just gonna say the layperson somebody that's not an elite athlete or even an elite athlete like it really comes down to five things 
sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and healthy relationships or living in community. Um, the scientific literature is very clear that these five things not only help you live longer, but help you be more resilient to stress. Cause that's really what's draining our tanks. Like stress is not a bad thing. Um, it's actually the gateway to growth and adaptation. If you want to get physically fit, guess what you have to do? Stress your body with exercise. Um, doing these five things though, improve mental and physical health. They improve longevity and your ability to adapt to stress. So, uh, you know, we can take this as many directions as you want to go, but those are really the five key things that you need to invest in. There's kind of thresholds for each one. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what I really like that you said was being in community. And I think that that's something that you know, we really lost over the past couple of years. And I think that that is something that is so incredibly important. And, you know, I find that often I'm like, uh, do I really saying whatever it might be? And, um, if I can get past that little part where it's like, I just stay home, just go, then I go and I'm happy. I did. I'm always happy. I did. Rarely am I like, oh, I wish I didn't go do that thing with people, whatever it might be you know, a work, uh, church group or, uh, whatever, whatever it might be. And, um, but it is hard to get past um, not wanting to do something, you know, to just say, oh, it's so much easier to stay home. I've got these dishes in the sink or whatever. As do you have any advice for people who maybe want to kind of introvert a little bit? Yeah. There's some new research that came out of the university of Kansas that found that just one Meaningful conversation a day can boost your mood, lower your stress, and significantly enhance social connectedness. So, you know, this is just one conversation a day, like listening to someone, having like a, like a, like giving somebody a sincere compliment, showing care, listening to somebody's opinion. This human to human connection drives and improves well-being. And it was very interesting. The researchers found that face-to-face communication was significantly more effective than electronic forms like DMs and texts. We are wired for social connectedness. Um, and without it, you you lose this buffer for stress. There's actually a paper that came out during that was researching kind of the pandemic period. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot of research falling out of that period now, but they were found that people that had greater social connectedness during lockdown periods had less worry and fatigue, lower perceived levels of stress. Basically they had this buffer against poor physical and mental health. So I would just recommend people just find one meaningful conversation a day. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody, just one, one friend, one person to connect with. You don't have to be, you don't have to get overly outside of yourself but if you're not doing this, the research is pretty clear. Like you're going to suffer, like you're, you're setting yourself up to suffer from some type of physical or mental health issue. Yeah, I think that's so sad and so true. And it's, I mean, I think a lot of people just kind of fell by the wayside and got abandoned for sure. Yeah. So you have, um, just in kind of summary here for young kids that maybe want a career in sports, what advice do you have <laughs> for them? Oh, wow. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of routes for young kids. Um, there's content creation, 
there's the business side of things. So a lot what people don't realize is there's, you know, let's say you take your favorite sports franchise or even in college athletics, there's a business side of this that needs marketing, human resources, um, you name it, every business like component that you can think of is available on that side. And then there's the actual coaching side of things. And you don't have to be a great athlete to be a great coach. If that's something you're interested in, um, you know, Bill Belichick, the head coach for the New England Patriots was not a great athlete at all. He was just an exceptional coach. Um, I would say, you know, if you, an advantage nowadays is understanding like pedagogy or how to teach something in a sequential pattern, understanding the human physiological system. So maybe getting a degree in like an exercise physiology and then, if you're not an athlete and you really want to break in, like if you're at a local university, go volunteer. Hey, I'll volunteer to be an assistant equipment manager as long as I get to, you know, hang out on the field and learn how to coach. There's a lot of people that break in that way. Um, you just have to be willing to, I hate to say pay your dues, but my first job at um out of undergrad was a internship at the university of Arkansas and I slept in somebody's basement <laughs> for three months. Uh, and you oh, know, wow. I, I volunteered. Then I got my graduate school paid for. And then my first job was $24,000 coming out of college. Um, not a lot, but it was a division two school. And, um, I just worked my way up and I tried to be different. I tried to be innovative. Um, and it's just like anything else, any other career, like, you have to be staying on top of the literature. You have to be pushing the envelope if you want to move up. And, um, and you know, I guess the last thing I would say is, is having a servant mindset of really serving players and coaches. If your goal is to go out and help people, like you're going to get ahead. If your goal is to go out and make a name for yourself, please do not enter the profession. I love that. That is so good. That is so great. Well, I really everything that we talked about today. I know that we kind of were ping pong all over a bunch of different concepts, but you've done so much. I do think that, you know, your insights are super helpful to our listeners. Thank you, Eric, so much. How can people get a hold of you? What's the best way? Yeah, um, you can follow me. I'm at, at Eric Corum, E-R-I-K-K-O-R-E-M on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And then um, if you're interested, if you have a wearable device and you want to, get recommendations like we talked about today that are personalized to you. Check us out at aim7.com. I appreciate it so much. And as always, we put everything in the show notes. I loved our conversation and I look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.